Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're on chapter 13. Welcome back. I accidentally went back and read another section of the book, thinking we were doing that section today. In all fairness to me, I have two book clubs running at the same time, and remembering where everyone is at can be a bit of a task. But the interesting part is that the message matched a conversation I had earlier today. I received a call from a friend asking me to explain how we help ourselves by giving to others. I explained to her what the course was saying. Then this evening, as I was reading the wrong section, that exact lesson was explained. It confirmed for me that I shared the correct information. It was, it's a little tricky though, because we've been taught to believe that doing charitable deeds meant we were righting wrongs or making up for past mistakes. The book is saying that is not exactly how it works. So there's in section 11, sorry, chapter 11, um, in a section called The Conditions of Reality, it goes like this, and paragraph four says, the perception of goodness is not knowledge, but the denial of the opposite of goodness enables you to recognize a condition in which opposites do not exist. And this is the condition of knowledge. Without this awareness, you have not met its conditions, and until you do, you will not know it is yours already. Hmm. Interesting. So what that's trying to say is that we know there's an opposite to goodness, right? That's what the ego teaches us. But what we need to do from a spiritual journey perspective is unknow that. And as soon as we can let go of that opposite and know that everything is only goodness, then that's when we're as close to knowledge as we can get in this world. And that's what the book's trying to teach us. We do not need to change something that already exists. We need to acknowledge that we are aware that it already exists. Okay. So today I will cover in chapter 13, The Guiltless World, the following sections. Attainment of the real world, from perception to knowledge, the cloud of guilt, release from guilt, and the peace of heaven. So let's begin. All right. So in my book, on page, what page is this? This is page 254. At the top says, the attainment of the real world. Paragraph one says, sit quietly and look upon the world you see and tell yourself, the real world is not like this. It has no buildings and there are no streets where people walk alone and separate. There are no stores where people buy an endless list of things they do not need. It is not lit with artificial light and night does not come upon it. There is no day that brightens and grows dim and there's no loss. Nothing is there but shines and shines forever. Paragraph two says the world you see must be denied for sight of it is costing you a different kind of vision. You cannot see both worlds for each of them involves a different seeing kind of seeing and depends on what you cherish. Paragraph three says you do not really want the world you see for it has disappointed you since the beginning of time. The homes you built have never sheltered you. 
The roads you made have led you nowhere, and no city that you built has withstood the crumbling assault of time. Nothing you made but has the mark of death upon it. Hold it not, dear, for it is old and tired and ready to return to dust, even as you made it. This aching world has not the power to touch the living world at all. You could not give it that. And no, and so, although you turn in sadness from it, you cannot find it in the road that leads away from it into another world. Paragraph four says, yet the real world has the power to touch you even here because you love it. And what you call with love will come to you. Love always answers being unable to deny a call for help or not to hear the cries of pain that rise to it from every part of this strange world you made but do not want. Paragraph five says, you have been wrong about the world because you have misjudged yourself. From such a twisted reference point, what could you see? All seeing starts with the perceiver who judges what is true and what is false. And what he judges false, he does not see. You who would judge reality cannot see it. For whom judgment enters, reality has slipped away. Next page at the top says, Christ is still there, although you know him not. His being does not depend upon your recognition. He lives within you in the quiet present and waits for you to leave the past behind and enter in the world he holds out to you in love. Paragraph six says, no one in this distracted world, but has seen some glints of the other world about him. Yet a while, yet while he still lays value on his own, he will deny the vision of the other maintaining that he loves what he loves not and following not the road that love points out. Hmm. Paragraph eight says, the peace of God passeth from understanding only in the past, yet here it is, and you can understand it now. God loves his son forever and his son returns his father's love forever. The real world is the way that leads you to remembrance of the one thing that is wholly true and wholly yours. Next page. Paragraph 10 says, sentence two says, your father knoweth that you have need of nothing. In heaven, this is so, for what could you need in eternity? In your world, you do need things. It is a world of scarcity in which you find yourself because you are lacking. Yet, can you find yourself in such a world? Sentence 10 says, ownership is a dangerous concept if it is left to you. The ego wants to have things for salvation, for possession is its law. Possession for its own sake is the ego's fundamental creed, a basic cornerstone in the churches it builds to itself. Paragraph 11, everything the ego tells you that you need will hurt you. For although the ego urges you again and again to get it, it leaves you nothing. And what you get 
it will demand of you. Paragraph 12 says, the only, only the Holy Spirit knows what you need, for he will give you all things that you do not block the way to light. And what else could you need? In time, he gives you all the things that you need have and will renew them as long as you have need for them. He will take nothing from you as long as you have any need of it. Paragraph 13 says, leave then your needs to him. He will supply them with no emphasis at all upon them. What comes to you of him comes, next page, safely for him will ensure it never can become a dark spot hidden in your mind and kept to hurt you. Under his guidance, you will travel light and journey lightly for his sight is ever on the journey's end, which is his goal. Paragraph 14 says, whenever you are tempted to undertake a useless journey that would lead away from light, remember what you really want and say, the Holy Spirit leads me on to Christ and where else should I go or would I go? What need have I but to awaken in him? Paragraph 16 says, in me, you have already overcome every temptation that would hold you back. You walk together, sorry, we walk together on the way to quietness. That is the gift of God. Hold me dear for what except your brother, brothers, can you need? We will restore to you the peace of mind that we must find together. Paragraph 17, sentence five says at the bottom, says healing in time is needed for joy cannot establish its eternal reign where sorrow dwells. You dwell not here, but in eternity. You travel, but in dreams while safe at home. Next page. Okay, that's the last part I have. Um, and that section, pretty big section called the attainment of the real world. Again, focusing on the differences between eternity and the world we live in and getting us to see that they are two different worlds. That's an important part in our learning and on in our journey. The next section on page 258 is called From Perception to Knowledge. Paragraph one says, all healing is released from the past. That is why the Holy Spirit is the only healer. He teaches that the past does not exist. A fact which belongs to the sphere of knowledge and which therefore no one in this world can know. Paragraph two says the very real difference between perception and knowledge becomes quite apparent if you consider this. There is nothing partial about knowledge. Every aspect is whole and therefore no aspect is separate. You are an aspect of knowledge, being in the mind of God who knows you. All knowledge must be yours for in you is all knowledge. Paragraph three, perfect perception then has many elements in common with knowledge, making transfer to it possible. Sentence five says the separation has not interrupted it. Creation cannot be interrupted. The separation is merely a faulty formulation of reality with no effect at all. 
Next page, which is page 259, the top is paragraph four, says, apart from the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit has no function. He is not separate from either, being in the mind of both and knowing that mind is one. Paragraph five says, this is the miracle of creation. This is, oh, sorry, this is the miracle of creation, that it is one forever. Every miracle you offer to the Son of God is but the true perception of one aspect of the whole. Though every aspect is the whole, you cannot know this until you see that every aspect is the same, perceived in the same light and therefore one. Everyone seen without the past thus brings you nearer to the end of time by bringing bringing healed and healing sight into the darkness and enabling the world to see. I love this passage because it's it's really significant because it's saying, unstating, but saying that until you see everybody exactly the same, totally equally, despite gender, despite culture, despite ethnic ethnics um, or race or anything, until we see everybody as completely equal, that's the only time we're ever going to understand what knowledge truly is. Paragraph six says, they are all the same, all beautiful and equal in their holiness, and he will offer them onto his father as they were offered onto him. There is one miracle as there is one reality. Paragraph eight at the bottom says, when you have seen your brothers as yourself, you will be released to knowledge, having learned to free yourself through, next page, him who knows of freedom. And then paragraph 10 at the bottom says, yet in this world, your perfection is unwitnessed. God knows it, but you do not. And so you do not share his witness to it nor do you witness unto him, for reality is witnessed to as one. That's awesome. That's a great, that's a lot of great messages from perception to knowledge. Really, you know, making us understand or helping us to understand that we need to see each other as equals, or we are as far from knowledge as we could possibly be. The cloud of guilt on page 260, starts with paragraph one. Guilt remains the only thing that hides the father, not, oh, sorry, for guilt is the attack upon his son. The guilty always condemn, and having done so, they will still condemn, linking the future to the past, as is the ego's law. Sentence seven says, between the future and the past, the laws of God must intervene if you would free yourself. Next page, the top paragraph two says, release from guilt is the ego's whole undoing. Make no one fearful for his guilt is yours. And by obeying the ego's harsh commandments, you bring its condemnation on yourself and you will not escape the punishment it offers those who obey it. Paragraph three says, the world can give you only what you gave it for being nothing but your own projection. It has no meaning apart from what you found in it and placed your faith in. 
sentence four in that same paragraph says, whenever you, whatever you hold dear, you think is yours. The power of your valuing will make it so. Paragraph four says, atonement brings a reevaluation of everything you cherish, for it is the means by which the Holy Spirit can separate the false and the true, which you have accepted into your mind without distinction. Therefore, you cannot value one without the other, and guilt has become as true for you as innocence. Paragraph five says, lay not his guilt upon him, for his guilt lies in his secret thought that he has done this to unto you. Would you then teach him he is right in his delusion? The idea of this guiltless son of God can attack himself and make himself guilty is insane. Paragraph six says, see no one then as guilty and you will affirm the truth of guiltlessness onto yourself. Paragraph seven says, guilt makes you blind for while you see one spot of guilt within you, you will not see the light. And by projecting it to the world, by projecting it, the world seems dark and shrouded in your guilt. And paragraph eight says, do not be afraid to look within. The ego tells you all is black with guilt within you and bids you not to look. Instead, it bids you to look upon your brothers and see the guilt in them. (laughs) That is so true. So that is a cloud of guilt. So we're really going to start talking a lot about guilt in the next few chapters because guilt is one of the biggest punishments we put upon ourselves and we let other people put upon us as well. So the next section is called release from guilt. Paragraph one says, you are accustomed to the notion that the mind can see the source of pain where it is not. The doubtful service of this displacement is to hide the real source of guilt and keep you from your awareness of the full perception that it is insane. (laughs) Paragraph two, next page says, insane ideas have no real relationship, no real relationships, for that is why they are insane. No real relationship can rest on guilt or even hold one spot of it to mar its purity. For all relationships that guilt has touched are used but to avoid the person and the guilt. What strange relationships you have made for this strange purpose. And you forgot the real relationships are holy and cannot be used by you at all. They are used only by the Holy Spirit and it is that which makes them pure. Paragraph three says, in any union with a brother in which you seek to lay your guilt upon him or share it with him or perceive his own, you will feel guilty. Nor will you, fi- will you find satisfaction and peace with him because your union with him is not real. You will see guilt in that relationship because you put it there. Hmm. Paragraph four says, when you maintain that you are guilty, but the source of your guilt lies in the past, you are not looking inward. The past is not in you. Your weird associations to it have no meaning in the present. Yet you let them stand between you and your brothers and with whom you find no real relationships at all. 
Can you expect to use your brothers as a means to solve the past and still to see them as they really are? Salvation is not found by those who use their brothers to resolve problems that are not there. Paragraph five at the bottom says, determine then to be not as you were. Use no relationship to hold you to the past, but with each one each day to be born again. A minute, even less, will be enough to free you from the past and give your mind in peace over to the atonement. Next page. Paragraph six says, as long as you believe that guilt is justified in any way, whatever he may do, you will not look within where you would always find atonement. The end of guilt will never come as long as you believe there's a reason for it. Paragraph seven says the Holy Spirit does not keep illusions in your mind to frighten you and show them to you fearfully to demonstrate what he does, what he has saved from saved from you. What he has saved from you is gone. Give no reality to guilt and see no reason for it. Paragraph eight says now, right now, it is given you to heal and teach, to make what will be now. And yet it is not, it is not now. The son of God believes that he is lost in guilt, alone and in the dark, in the dark world where pain and is pressing everywhere upon him from without. Paragraph nine says, you who have unmercifully, unmerciful to yourself, do not remember your father's love. And looking without mercy upon your brothers, you do not remember how much you love him. Yet it is forever true. In shining peace within you is the perfect purity in which you were created. Fear not to look upon that lovely truth in you. Look through the cloud of guilt that dims your vision and look past darkness to the holy place where you will see the light. Next page, paragraph 10 says, release from guilt, release from guilt as you would be released. There is no other way to look within and see the light of love shining as steadily and surely as God himself has always loved his son. And as his son loves him, there is no fear in love for love is guiltless. Hmm. Wow, we need to tell people in our lives that love's guiltless, don't we? (laughs) Paragraph 11, you cannot enter into real relationships with any of God's sons unless you love them all and equally. Love is not special. That's a big statement. If you single out part of the sonship for your love, you are imposing guilt on all your relationships and making them unreal. You can love only as God loves. Seek not to love unlike him, for there is no love apart from his. Until you recognize that this is true, you will have no idea what love is like. That's an important statement. And the book continues to go into love as we get further on. But the book is stating that the kind of love that we have in this world, particularly ones around relationships and our special relationships we make with people, is not love. It's it's the love we created, but it's not love that God gave us. It's not perfect love. It's conditional love. 
It is love based on guilt. It's love based on fear. It's love based on a lot of things, but it's not true love, the truest, perfect love that God gave us. And that's what they're trying to say right here. No worries, because they'll go into it much more as we go on. Paragraph 12 says, no illusion that you have ever held against him has touched his innocence in any way. His shining purity, wholly untouched by guilt and wholly loving is bright within you. Let us look upon him together and love him for in love of him is your guiltlessness. But look upon yourself and gladness and appreciation for what you see will banish guilt forever. I thank you, Father, for the purity of your most holy Son, whom you have created guiltless forever. Paragraph 13 says, Like you, my faith and my belief are centered on what I treasure. The difference is that I love only what God loves with me. And because of this, I treasure you beyond the value that you set on yourself, even onto the worth that God has placed upon you. Hmm. Next page. Uh, The top of the page, sentence four says, My faith in you is as strong as all the love I gave my father. My trust in you is without limit and without fear that you will hear me not. And paragraph 14, sentence two says, Alone we are all lowly. But together we shine with brightness so intense that none of us alone can even think of it. Before the glorious radiance of the kingdom, guilt melts away and transformed into kindness will never more be what it was. Hmm. Next section on page 266 is called The Peace of Heaven. And I believe, yes, this is the last section we'll be doing this evening. Paragraph one says, forgetfulness and sleep and even death become the ego's best advice for dealing with the perceived and harsh intrusion of guilt on peace. Yet no one sees himself in conflict and raged by a cruel war unless he believes that both opponents in the war are real. Hmm. Paragraph two, God would not have his son embattled, and so his son's imagined enemy is totally unreal. You are you are but trying to escape a bitter war from which you have escaped. The war is gone, for you have heard the hymn of freedom rising onto heaven. Gladness and joy belong to God for your release, because you made it not Yet as you made not freedom, you so you made not a war that could endanger freedom. Hmm. Paragraph three says, when we are all unified in heaven, you will value nothing that you value here. For nothing that you value here, do you value, next page, holy. And so you do not value it at all. Sentence seven, a little bit further down, says in heaven is everything God values and nothing else. Heaven is perfectly unambiguous. Everything is clear and bright and calls forth one response. There is no darkness and there is no contrast. There is no variation. There is no interpretation. There is a sense of peace so deep 
that no dream in this world has ever brought even a dim imagining of what it is. When I read that the first time, I I thought about people who've experienced near-death experiences and have come back to tell their stories. And one consistent thing with all of them is that incredible sense of love and joy and peace that they've never felt in this world, but they felt in reality, in God's reality, and said, you know, most of them said they didn't want to come back because it was the most incredible feeling, but that it is just something we have never experienced or will never experience in this world. Kind of sad, actually. Paragraph four says, nothing in this world can give that this peace for nothing in this world is wholly shared. Perfect perception can merely show you what is capable of being wholly shared. It can also show you the results of sharing while you still remember the results of not sharing. Paragraph five says, you whose mind is darkened by doubt and guilt, remember this, remember this, God gave the Holy Spirit to you and gave him the mission to remove all doubt and every trace of guilt that his dear son has laid upon himself. It is impossible that this mission fail. Nothing can prevent what God would have accomplished, would have accomplished from being accomplished. Sentence five says, you will find the peace in which he has established you because he does not change his mind. Paragraph six says, you will not remember change and shift in heaven. You have need of control only here. Contrast and differences are necessary teaching aids for by them you learn what to avoid and what to seek. When you have learned this, you will find the answer that makes the need for any differences disappear. Next page. I think I'm there. Okay. Paragraph seven. Sentence. Oh, it's the first one. Have faith in only this one thing and it will be sufficient. God wills you be in heaven and nothing can keep you from it or it from you. Your wildest misperceptions, your weird imaginings, your blackest nightmares all mean nothing. They will not prevail against the peace God wills for you. The Holy Spirit will restore your sanity because insanity is not the will of God. Isn't that good news? Paragraph eight says, the communication link that God himself placed within you, joining your mind with his cannot be broken. You may believe you want it broken. And this belief does interfere with the deep peace in which the sweet and constant communication God would share with you is known. Sentence eight, you have it now. The Holy Spirit will teach you how to use it and by extending it to learn that it is in you. Paragraph nine says you will learn salvation because you will learn how to save. It will not be possible to exempt yourself from what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Salvation is as sure as God. His certainty suffices. Learn that even the darkest nightmares that disturbs the mind of God's sleeping son holds no power over him. He will learn the lesson of awakening. God watches over him and light surrounds him. Paragraph 11 says, The Holy Spirit will unto you 
for you everything you have learned that teaches that what is not true must be reconciled with truth. This is the reconciliation the ego would substitute for your next page, reconciliation to sanity and to peace. The Holy Spirit has a very different kind of reconciliation is mine for you, and one he will effect as surely as the ego will not affect what it attempts. And then lastly, um, at the bottom, sentence seven says, for how can you remember what was never true or not remember what was has always been? It is the reconciliation with truth and only truth in which the peace of heaven lies. Yes, this is true. Okay, so then that leads us to chapter 14 in two weeks. So we will continue with chapter 14, which is called Teaching for Truth. I will cover the following sections, the introduction, the conditions of learning, the happy learner, the decision for guiltlessness, and your function in the atonement. My online book club is still on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., and everyone is welcome to join. And please feel, we are actually a little bit behind. That's why I was out of sync today. Um, Then this book club, uh, this online book club is further ahead than my other book club. So um, you can come in and join us. We'd love that at any point in time. Just send me a message at trifectanow3 at gmail.com and I'll send you the link. Thanks for listening. I can be contacted again at trifectanow3 trifectanow3 at gmail.com if you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, say hello, ask for the link to the other podcast, or sorry, other book club, please do so. So let's keep sharing this love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love. Denise.